and welcome to Life, an Inside Job, the podcast where we centre our internal experiences as sources of comfort, nourishment and creativity. My name is Kate and in no particular order, I'm a writer, a mentor, speaker, artist and facilitator. And my book, Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause, is available at all good bookshops. The other thing I love to do is have soulful, meandering conversations with people about how their inner lives nourish them. And this is what life and inside job is all about. If you're in the meno zone and if you're in menopause or perimenopause, there's a wealth of resources on my website. It's like an Aladdin's cave in there. There's masses of stuff. And you can access this for free at katecodrington.co.uk and for events and all the latest things that are going on just pop over to kate underscore codrington on instagram i work one-to-one with medicine circles and mentoring for people in menopause and with complementary therapists too you can find out all about that on my site And you can also join me for monthly yoga nidra sessions where we co-create the nidra and drop into the body in the seasons of the body. And this is also known as having a wonderful rest. I've been wanting to initiate this conversation for ages, but it's an especially potent time to have it now because it's a hundred years since Gerda Boysen's birth. And Gerda Boysen was the, the Gerda Boysen Institute in London, in Acton, West London, was the first psychotherapy training I did back in the 90s. And if you've never heard of her, you probably won't be alone because though she was a pioneer of psychotherapeutic theory and discoveries way back in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, She was and continues to be overlooked because of straightforward misogyny, because essentially she was a woman and people didn't take her seriously. Among her many groundbreaking theories, the importance of fascia, about how energy behaves in the body, about the wisdom, the innate wisdom of the body and the environment, the safe environment, that the body needs, the spirit, the psyche needs to express itself about the nervous system, the emotional function of the gut and many other things. Stuff we take for granted now as mainstream in yoga and movement and somatics, in integrated psychotherapy and in bodywork. I was delighted to get together on Skype with Anat Ben-Israel. She's a biodynamic psychotherapist, a senior biodynamic trainer who has training schools in Israel and the USA, and she's a training board member at the London School of Biodynamic Psychotherapy, as well as working with clients privately in her clinic and online. And like me, she was lucky enough to have been taught by Gerda Boysen herself, the founder of Biodynamic Psychotherapy an absolute innovator who created a uniquely feminine and cyclical 
way of working. I started by asking Anat what biodynamic psychotherapy actually is. There are two kinds of explanation of sharings. One would be to someone who is a therapist, meaning they're in the position of facilitating for another. And the other is for everyone else, which is the position of facilitated facilitating for oneself. And for oneself, I would say that biodynamic psychotherapy supports the individual to connect in different ways, and that's another conversation, but to connect to themselves, to call home 800ME, to call home and to find who is there. So it's to follow the rhythms of one's own life force, of one's own life through the wonderful defenses that we have created and wonderful they are. They are full of wonder. We are very creative in how we defend ourselves. The reasons for that and then to the living being that we call the primary personality that is healthy and keeps moving us through our own life. So it's an individual journey. My tummy was just rumbling. Ah. <laughs> I don't know if the microphone picked up this is <laughs> Yes. And what, an what about for the therapist person? How would you describe and to the therapist is, I would describe it to the therapist person, um, I would say that uh, biodynamic psychotherapy sees the person as a wholeness and supports the connection to the healthy aspects of self with great respect to the individual's journey in life and that would be in a very short sentence and what I mean by that is that we as therapists we don't have the answers and I would say one of the greatest arts is to ask a question or to support the client in contemplating about themselves without an end point, but just to open up the window that has been closed and re-engage themselves without judgment from the outside. Something like that. If you ask me in 10 minutes, probably I'll come up with something else. I think that's pretty good. I think you nailed it. <laughs> it's something I've always struggled with to describe what it is. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, for me to to say to somebody about bad dynamic is really, and to a therapist would be that, and as well that we work directly with the tactile self, mm-hmm. with the body, with its sensations, with its realities, and and it's not lower or higher to the mental faculties. And that's a whole different. Uh, conversation about why we must come back to our senses a and great, a great floating conversation the, to have for yeah. sure isn't it say again it's a great conversation to have why yes. we have to come back to our senses and we have to come back to our senses and that's where true empathy comes from because resonance is a physical experience and then I can resonate. And if I resonate, how can I harm another? But the intellect can cut me off from actually truly resonating with another human. And if I don't sense in my body and I value the intellect more, then it's very simple and easy once that is achieved, to not see all of humans equal. Mm. We're not the same, but we are equal. Oh, how do you say it? Do you say biodynamic psychotherapy? or? Yeah, you could say biodynamic psychotherapy, or you could say biodynamic body psychotherapy. Mm. Uh, when Gerda Boysen, the founder of this work, uh, actually came up with the name, there was no such a thing as body psychotherapy. Do you think she invented body psychotherapy then? You mean the name? Well, I mean, I don't, uh, I can, if I have to pinpoint it to one person, I would say it's more Willem Reich. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, that, that field of really paying attention to the the body as I would say the manifestor of the psyche in a way uh, so to um, Willem Reich came from psychoanalysis um, and nevertheless uh, he saw how important the body was and not only really the body but all life experiences uh, don't happen in the brain they happen through our um, experiences through the body and so but uh, at the time he didn't call it body psychotherapy either it's a very Mm. interesting question where those two words united yeah i've I've got a bee in my bonnet i have a i actually i have a bee in my solar plexus to be really to be really precise because having this conversation gets me really excited (laughs) particularly this combination of body psychotherapy and a feminine approach because I've just read after 30 years of waiting I've read Between Psyche and Soma uh, which is Gerda Boysen's book Uh, it was originally written in German was it or Norwegian I don't know it doesn't really matter but it's, been, it's taken a very long time for it to be translated into English and it finally is and it's available 
And what I see in reading it is how the theories and discoveries that she made were extraordinary breakthroughs, which we now use in mainstream bodywork, in psychotherapy, fascia work, uh, nervous system regulation, polyvagal theory. She was thinking about this stuff back in the 1960s and 50s. And at the time, no one would listen to her. Yes, yes. Um, she's definitely a pioneer. And uh, this year, uh, 2022, is a hundredth, uh, um, it's a, her centennial and her birthday, a hundredth birthday. And um, it, is, uh, it is true that um, her work was really um, revolutionary. And her, uh, of course, being a woman, helped it not to be noticed. Mm. I would put it this way. And uh, that was one of her, uh, I would say, her personal uh, challenges to uh, be supported. And when she came to England, she actually met with David Bordella. Mm. And he was the first one to invite her to uh, run a workshop and to start teaching her work. Mm. And he was a great supporter of uh, uh, Gerda Boyson. Yeah. Uh, and I will call her Gerda, if I may. She was my own teacher, and so I have a personal relationship to her. So to call her Boyson is a little bit um, <laughs> natural, I would say. And so, yeah, she was, she was very um, observant and had great reverie to the mysteries of life, mm. which allowed her, in a way, to have, with, with all the knowledge that she had as a physiotherapist, as a psychologist, to still have this beautiful beginner's mind to observe and to pay attention to the smallest of details in expression, whether they were outward expressions, like when expressions, feelings come out, and then the internal processes, and then to translate them to a methodology and to applicable techniques. So, um, um, I would call her almost like a, a Renaissance scientist mm. that had as well the heart and the intellect and the, the know-how how to put it all uh, together. Yeah. And she was a very, very skilled therapist, I think, in, in terms of, as you say, her observation and her uh, empathic presence. And also in terms of touch, too, very, very skilled. Very, very skilled. I... I I would always be amazed how she would be able to look at the smallest movements, let's say, of the finger. Like the person is lying down, they are getting connected with their breath, and they're invited just to allow. And it seems such a simple um, invitation. Just let uh, whatever wants to come, and uh, that you all just, just let it be. And from those smallest 
I would say, unconscious movements to develop it into a full-blown expression of something that was waiting for years to come up. And it doesn't have to be a, a something painful. Could be to remember the mother's touch and to 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 connect to the significance of it. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a painful experience. Mm. So that was to see her work was to see someone uh, not only a skillful therapist, but as well, I would say. Um, a person that has such a deep respect to the individual's journey. That the most important thing was the client in this case, but this the other person's experiences and that she was there to facilitate it, but not to get the glory, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, and to to honor life, and that's this the name of the um the word biodynamic is made out of, it's really the, the dynamics of the life force, which always is something that is changing. Yeah, and so to pay attention to, to that, mm. to something that is greater uh, than our ego self, that elements of us and that guides us and how to connect to that level. She used to say that we needed to, as students, that we needed to go um, underneath the ego, to slip, slip behind the ego. To so she didn't work with transference or anything like that, or relate. It wasn't relational particularly, I don't think. But somehow the 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 methods that she developed enabled us to go underneath to find I mean it sounds so trite to find to contact the life force in its all its forms but it, it's it's really a remarkable thing that something so simple can be so profound yes she was very much a um, I would say a master of that of simplicity mm. because life in, in a way it's not uh, complicated but it's complex and so the simpler a technique is, the more we can pay attention to what matters and not to the application of the technique. And as well, I would say, we, did, we do work with transference. We do work with counter-transference. We do work with projections because it's a natural way of how people communicate, how resonance is, is built. However, the question is, what does it mean to work with? And, um, or even to work with confrontation. Um, biodynamic psychotherapy works with all of that, but I would say in non, um, it's not straightforward. So the therapist and the client don't interact in that kind of conversational way about those things. But definitely the therapist is there to provide the space to explore those uh, dynamics. Because those dynamics are really what causes us uh, great pain and anguish and great celebrations and brings us joy. Yeah? So the 
to project, to the whole element of projecting, yeah, is something that we do all the time. <laughs> and so much of the human relationships are transference and counter-transference. And Gerda catered very much to have the positive transference and counter-transference because our neurosis or um, in biodynamic we have a term, we call it a secondary personality, which is uh, what uh, in, a, in a way is the, the way our persona changes to protect us from unresolved conflicts, from pain. So we create a defense mechanism that becomes our, so to speak, a little bit a mutated personality that is based in survival. And then we have the concept of the primary personality, which is a personality that we are coming in with, which is, in a way, we could say some basic um, attributes, for example, of curiosity, that we're curious about life. We're not first afraid of it. We are curious about life. We are tending to go to what gives us pleasure and wellness, what allows us to grow. Uh, we are naturally trusting. And so as time goes by, we start having to adapt and we're starting to have to mutate a little bit to fit the home we land in. You know, we open our eyes and we go, oh my God, where am I? And here we go. Life starts. Out of the womb we come. And, um, of course, uh, life starts in the womb, but we don't see our parents yet. We don't see our house yet. And it's quite a startling moment, I would say, to see where we land. It's like we have blindfolds for nine months, and then the blindfolds are taken off, and here we go. And so that's the primary personality, and over time, we start... And we have to create defense mechanisms. And so we start having issues with those beautiful people called our caretakers or traditionally mother and father. Uh, but there's basically people who love us and um, we are, so to speak, theirs for a time, you know, dependent on them. Um, we're starting to create a relationships of give and take. Love is no, very quickly, love is not unconditional. It's conditional. Even though deep within our, within our parents, there is love, but the way we express it is, is uh, quite conditional, I would say. And so later on in therapy, negative transference is... Uh, coming quite quickly in some ways. But we try to cater to the more the positive transference because we are here to create an environment of exploration. And if my client sees me as, let's say, the, the bad mother, and so much so that now I have become it, I cannot anymore provide a trusting space. I think there's quite a lot of, I think that biodynamic has m mastered, mistressed perhaps, the art of co-regulation. 
you know, of what we would now understand as regulating other people, the client's nervous system by coming into our own good, good body feeling, positive body feelings. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, we do co-regulate so naturally mm -hmm. that again, it's so simple. We don't even uh, notice it because such a big part of the of becoming a biodynamic psychotherapist, I would say, is um, not only working directly with the body. Biodynamic psychotherapy uh, not only sees that the body is um, how shall I even say it? I mean. Mind and body, head and body, they are one. They come together, they go together in life. So to even separate them is very artificial. You know, it's not like the, the body carries the head to the therapy or uh, the other way, you know. The head guides the body to the therapist. Um, the person is a wholesome system. And... Uh, Gerda Boysen developed touch techniques, which we call massage, but it's a little bit misleading because it's not like going to the sauna or to a massage therapist. It's actually the body, touching the body is as well touching the conscious element and the unconscious element. It's conversing directly with the nervous system. It's conversing with the body through touch, through sensations. And um, so the psyche is expressing itself through the body. So different ways of touching will communicate on a very deep level to different aspects of the psyche. And receiving that over four years whether it is in the training or in their, uh, the students' individual uh, psychotherapy sessions, we change from the inside out. And that's why it is so important to go a little bit under the eye, under the ego, mm. and to reach to that level of the subconscious and unconscious. And to do that through the body is the simplest ways. And it's so simple that it is unnoticed. And that's another element is that we want to befriend the defense mechanisms. And that connects as well to the polyvagal. That when we connect in an unconfrontative way to the defenses, the system starts naturally feeling more relaxed. And that's why we work so much with the whole element of trust as an experience. And for the being, trust means to feel good. If I don't feel good, it's not a good space. If it's not a good space, how can I trust it? So it's not about evolution through struggle and through pain. It's actually the resolution of the past, so I can arrive to the now and have new choices. And so that is part why 
we we don't shy away from negative transference, but we don't want to stay there. And we do cater very much and support positive transference, which happens quite naturally because the biodynamic psychotherapist is taught to connect to their own primary personality to or to, I would say, not only to connect with, but to develop it, to be able to stay with a person and listen to them without judgment. Because when we judge another person, for the client in this case, it starts being unsafe. And they don't need to be aware of it. Most of our communication is not conscious at all. So for so, people so for people who are not therapists, how do how can we apply this theory into our lives? How do you use biodynamic theory in your day-to-day -day life when you get out of bed, when you eat your breakfast, get on the bus? How what does that look like for you? Well, it's a state of inner calmness. And um, it's a very good question, and I, I need to, to contemplate how to translate an isness into words. It's tricky, huh? Uh, that that it is. thing, <laughs> the isness and the verbal. <laughs> yeah, because it's very much that. I would say that it's maybe with an attitude of acceptance, that I accept myself. And so the first thing in the morning is not, oh my God, I need to do this, or oh my God, I haven't done that, or oh no, or these ones, which are immediately, they're anxiety producing, and it's sort of like the world is unsafe, my own world. Um, so when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, good morning. As simple as that is welcoming, welcoming myself into the day, not welcoming the day, is welcoming myself and, um, and not judging myself. So it's not about saying, oh, you're amazing all day long, but actually is acceptance, to accept how things are. And how do I know I accept something is because I don't have any further conversations. I don't have a continual running, the wonderful critique. I can just have an acceptance. I say, okay, I haven't done that. That's and, it. And when you meet a challenging sensation or feeling in the body or there's someone hammering on your door or a shouting neighbor or you have pain, then and then where is that acceptance? I accept that just as much. I accept that I have this challenge today. I accept that I have this neighbor today. Yeah, luckily, luckily, uh, my neighbor is quite far away. But, <laughs> but that are nuisance, and I acceptance is a very interesting thing. Is almost like, like the re, uh, is is to to see things as they are. That's number one. But number two is, do I want to make any changes? 
And that is very important because one of the things is in, in the biodynamic approach is total acceptance. So it's almost like I see you, that's it. That's number one, that's the basis. Number two is, do I want it this way or I want to make any changes? And number three is, what kind of changes do I want to make and then do them? So to see things as they are, it's not a passive state. It's to acknowledge where I am, whether it is in myself or in the world, and then see what do I want to do with that. But if I don't accept where I am, I cannot really do any, any real change. And so one of the processes is first meet oneself. I have to meet myself as I am. And as a therapist, I have to meet the other as they are without commentary, meaning listen to them, see them, just as the I see the I has no opinion. I am in the physical too eyes between you know the ears so just see it listen pay attention and that's that's, that's i mean and that's a fantastic skill for our own inner dialogue but also a life skill to listen in that way absolutely and and it's not that i don't get uh, um i say my feathers do get stirred but then instead of judging myself on that, I go, okay, so that's what happened to you. So what do you want to do? So I'm kind to myself. And that's something we can all do. We can all be kind to ourselves. We can have a beautiful uh, angel sitting in our head instead of a very highly developed critical voice that is corrosive puts us down, and never says anything good about ourselves. And if it does, it takes it down quite rightly. So to be kind and to see, okay, what else is possible? What else can I change? So I am better for myself, not because I'm worse, if not, but because maybe I, don't, I want to have a bit more patience to this person. And in order to have more patience, the simplest of things is to breathe deeper. Because when my breath is shallow, there is more tension in my whole body. When my breath is deeper, I immediately have more space for things. And sometimes this simplicity is mind-boggling, like it cannot be that simple. And yes, it can, because we are so physically uh, driven. I mean... If I breathe very shallowly, it doesn't matter how wonderful I, uh, where I am, how wonderful the space is, I will feel more anxious. If I take a deeper breath, I'll start seeing better. I will, I will have more room for a situation. I will have less existential fear. Because the body is, is governed by by the physical world. And so, when I want to be more grounded, it translates simply sometimes to having my feet on the bare ground, 
with no shoes. Of course, groundness is something that is within my own, my own self. But having my feet on the ground translates to feeling more solid in my being. Us to us. Yes. Or if I'm afraid, immediately my body tightens up. There's nothing I can do about it. Because if I just open up my arms, I will feel less afraid. That's how simple we are. Can you We're, say... Oh, sorry. Go no, on. go ahead. Go ahead, please. Can you say a bit about the midwife approach that Gerda developed? It's, it's such a feminine um, way of working. And I think it it's important to name it because it's different to the other approaches that were around at the, at the time when she was developing her theories. And it's become much more commonplace now and it's useful for people to know about if they're working therapists or and in our own lives as well. So tell, tell us about the midwife approach and what that meant. I can say it in one word. You ready? Yep, go on, hit me. Allow. Allow, allow, allow. That's in its uh, one word, the midwife approach. Because why is it called the midwife? And by the way, it's a very, very active approach. It is not passive at all. Because what I need to do as a human being, as a therapist, as a yoga teacher, as a Feldenkrais teacher, as a teacher, as a parent, as a human being, I come to it again, is to have so much space inside myself and to be so fluid that... I can allow natural processes to take their place. And it's not active on the outside, but it is very active on the inside. And it connects to what I just said a moment ago about total acceptance. Because the, uh, the midwife approach is and was to allow a person to connect to their own truth about a situation that happened in the past. I mean, therapy is mainly to do with now backwards. And little between the present moment forward. So to allow the inner movement, and what do I mean by that and what does she mean by that, was to allow a sensation, for example, that starts, it starts as a sensation, so we will see that it starts more from the unconscious because it's not actually something that we decide on, and to allow it to develop, to allow a sensation, maybe a little bit of uh, butterflies, yeah, in that kind of in the stomach or in the intestines, that kind of a sensation to start to start literally rising and develop. And then it passes the diaphragm, 
which is such an important muscle of breath regulation and through that energy regulation and through that emotional expression regulation, it starts moving through and suddenly a, a memory starts rising up. And then a movement comes into it too. The body is being animated. And all of that is happening because the therapist is in the position of a midwife that allows, in real life, midwives, they are allowing the process of birth to happen. They are not doing the birth. They are not the active element in the process of birthing. So it's the actual, the person that is giving birth to a stimulus, to something that is coming from within them, it develops, it expresses, and it tends to complete something that still was waiting to be completed from their past. And then that's in, in few words, the, the midwife approach and the more masculine approach, let's say the Reichian approach was, to do some quite heavy manipulation to the body. So then the person will come to an expression. So here the therapist was doing, in a way, was doing the birth. And, um, and that is a, is a difference uh, in that approach. Yes, but that, that sort of more male approach was all in the muscles, right? Yes, that's it was Gerda who brought the attention into the into the fascia, and as we now, you know, this is a developing science now that we're starting to understand how well we are fascia. <laughs> Actually, I'm learning how to say how to pronounce it correctly, fascia rather than fascia. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you know, this this thing that how by the say the re the relaxation in the lower belly from feeling safe can create a movement in the little finger to allow somebody to allow us to reach out right you know right because physiologically it is all connected absolutely it's all connected i mean let's not forget we were once one cell and the communication of the different, I would say, tissues in the body is, I will dare to say, faster than the speed of light. It's almost like it's um, scalar in the sense that it simply is. And the, what Gerda was observing, what you just described, she didn't put it into these words, which is really great she didn't, because we are not fascia. We use the fascia to express who we are. And that sometimes I think is the danger in cognitive understanding of biological and psychological processes. Because our need to know sometimes circumvents our need to experience. Because life is not a cognitive experience, it's an experiential 
we have to experience everything. The mind, and, the mind wants to keep us safe. You know, it wants to. I was, I was just having a conversation about this yesterday with a friend, thinking about how the mind wants to keep it safe, keep everything familiar, keep us protected from bad things happening and that shuts down the fluid motion of expression that we're talking about here. Yes, yes. I mean, a part of the brain wants to do what you described because the first thing is to, we have to survive, we have to live and then everything else is secondary. So the systems that are activated very quickly are those systems that have to do with uh, protection and the number one emotion, or if we can even call it that, I mean, it's not a feeling, it's more of an emotion, it's an energetical experience, is fear. And what fear does to the whole system, it contracts it. And we all are built actually almost identical. So very, very similar. And um, we use the body in the same way. So the, the midwife approach, I'll go back to that, is communicating to the person we are with that it is safe because we are not intervening we are trusting by not intervening and by not being judgmental because why our thoughts are so important? Because we perceive each other's unconscious thoughts and conscious thoughts immediately. If I'm judging you, you know. That's true. The eye starts doing all kinds of judgmental movements that we are don't, we're not even aware of. And our body changes. So... What I think matters, my attitude matters very much as a therapist. It gives direction to my energy. And so when I'm in that midwife approach, but I will not overuse that because it's um, sometimes it's perceived as if I do nothing. I just sit there. But I do a lot. Um, it communicates to the other person that it is safe. And so they are experiencing it as safety. That's the co-regulation element. And then what Gerda called the impinging from within, the stimulus from within, that movement that starts in the depth of our body. And it does not, is not controlled so much because it feels safe starts moving through and so the fluid in a way we could say a little bit uh, we could say that the fluid pressure after all we are pressurized systems is creating we could imagine like a wave that brings then the movement at the mm. at the little finger Thinking of fluid and waves, can you talk about about peristalsis and because that's a, that's another uh, innovative part that nobody nobody else uses as far as I'm I'm aware. Yes, yeah, so so what Gerda observed was that 
there was, um, I would say, cause and effect. So when she uh, was working with touch in, uh, in Norway in a um, psychiatric ward uh, or mental, uh, mental hospital, then uh, she worked with a specific kind of touch which uh, was created by a lady called Adele Bilu Hudson, and she was a physiotherapist there. And Gerda started realizing that the way she was touching someone was at, time, at times was bringing some um, sounds in their intestines. And that was attracting her attention because those patients were getting better even though they did not have big emotional expressions or physiological expressions like diarrhea or vomiting. So what it meant was that the system was, the pressure was coming down, but seemingly nothing was happening uh, on the outside. But she was hearing the peristaltic sounds of the intestines. And... Um, there's a lot more to the story, but we will go through a few pages of the book. And later on, she actually started placing a stethoscope on the intestines, not on the stomach, but on the intestines. And she started to hear that there was a direct correlation between what she was doing on the outside of the body and what was happening at the deepest uh, system of the body. I mean, even a single cell is able to take in food and throughout the waste products. So that is the deepest level, the most primary element of the body. And that some sounds were bringing a relief in the um, psychological, in the physiological, in the energetic state of the patient. And um, she actually shared this phenomenon with her daughter, uh, Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa Boyson. And it was Mona Lisa Boyson then that said, hey, it is like psychoperstasis, so that we are able to digest we are able to digest certain elements of our, we could say, of our neurosis in a way. And um, medically, scientifically, it's not proven at all. However, clinically, it is. And it's amazing that... Um, it's not being validated in the larger circles. Uh, even though today we do know um, that it actually has been coined the second brain. I would coin it. I would coin it the first brain, but it's uh, the second brain nowadays, and it actually um, it actually responds immediately to our psychological state. Well, the, and the vagus nerve informs the, informs the brain what's going on. Yes, but I would say even that is 
I would say even that it's not even the vagus nerve. I think that there is this, I mean, the, the upper brain and the lower brain, they look alike. It's actually the mode uh, who creates the different uh, moods is more the intestines. I mean, we have 80% of the serotonin is being produced in the intestines, in the small intestine. So I would actually say that this is what we can find today, that it's the vagus nerve but that we are not localized anywhere. There's a great uh, neurosurgeon and he did hundreds of brain surgeries and he was always curious to see if there's some parts of that brain where consciousness is, where personality is. He couldn't find anywhere. And that it's everywhere. Mind is everywhere. Brain is in the skull, but mind, the, the mind is everywhere. And so I think that communication, like I have some thoughts, and that happens so much to me in therapy and to other therapists as well, but not only in therapy as well, in people that are tuning to each other, that I may have a question and the person answers it without me utter one word. And so we have communication that is happening on a different uh, frequency band that we cannot yet pinpoint. And so I think that the information in our body is global, but we're experiencing it locally. And uh, the, in biodynamic, we see that the, the, for us, the psychoperstalsis is a great uh, guide to what happens to the whole system. It doesn't tell us a story like uh, when uh, George was five, so-and-so happened to him. But it does tell me that the client now is actually, the system is being open and they're moving into the parasympathetic state and that this deep system is open, and this is very important when, what it means open, it means that it's responsive. And uh, what Gerda said was that a person is healthy when they can self-regulate. And she said that before the whole idea of self-regulation became so popular. And self-regulation is where all the systems are able to come back to homeostasis. And because this is the most primitive system, the digestive system, but especially the intestines, that when it is a, it's pliable and the fluid can move through and the electrical currents that are moving within the fluid can actually move in the walls of the intestines. After an event, then we are healthy, meaning that we can cope and grow through life. It doesn't mean we are happy all the time, but it means that maybe we can find happiness in due time. And we can come to an inner state of safety 
when I'm alone, maybe in my home. And that seems something so obvious, but so few people, when they are at home, they truly feel safe. Because safety is an internal perception, not an external environment. So it's quite profound to feel safe. The brain is not chattering. The lists of what to do are quiet. And there is real respite. And that's the pause the system requires to complete the sentence was that evolution is not about uh, achieving anything, it's actually about being able to make choices, mm. new choices, and not always to go back to the past and to appease our past so then we feel okay. Yeah. If you could choose one aspect of biodynamic psychotherapy that is most useful which would you which would you choose for everyday life say well i <laughs> would it... say that i would say that um self-acceptance mm. because um one thing is how the next thing would be how do we go about getting there i but... was gonna i was gonna ask you that <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that takes that takes uh, that takes um, some self investment. I don't call it work, um, but uh, however the payoff is high. It's good for self investment, and it is to there to see what I don't want to know about myself, and to take it easy. Uh, to know that, of course, of course, I have elements in myself that I want to change. Why? Because they don't give me, they don't bring me joy. They don't bring me the ability to be fluid in my body, to have creative thoughts, to have unlimited thought. And unlimited thought cannot be achieved if I am afraid. I cannot self-regulate if I'm judgmental about myself. And judgment is always weighing, comparing. And so to accept is to stop all of that. And why it takes time is because we are not educated to see ourselves that way. We are always compared as children. So we have to live by other people's standards. So to wake up in the morning and simply say, good morning, Anat, and pause for a moment. Not and but, but just good morning, Anat. And take that moment of acknowledging I am alive today and what is possible in my day. And possibilities are not about the outside, but it's the attitude I will engage the day with. And that is uh, something that is an everyday process. And so to be a really good midwife to myself is um, 
to observe myself, to accept my uh, faults, so to speak, and to see them as an opportunity to change. And what I already have that brings me joy to let it grow a bit more. Which is, by the way, another concept in biodynamic, is to allow a movement to grow and be curious about where it takes me. So I would say self-acceptance and curiosity would be the two things that I would say can be applicable every day. And when we forget, the moment we remember, not to be hard on oneself, but to say, okay, now what? Yeah, to be a good, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful inquiry. How can I be a good midwife to myself now? Because mm-hmm. it it calls in a little objectivity and a little good mother or a good caregiver um, and a sort of wider view to what might be helpful. You know, it gives a little space between the the critic, between you and the critic and the child and yeah. And 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 self and really self kindness to be kind. Mm. There is enough harshness around. So to be kind and to notice when I am not and just to self correct. Mm. Just to correct. It's uh-huh. not so complicated. Just to take a breath. Exhale and be open to the next one. I have a confession. I made a classic podcast error. I stopped the recording before the end of our conversation. And pretty much as soon as I pressed stop, and that said, she had this really passionate moment about how the current rise in right-wing governments across the globe was to do with the current disconnection from the body. She expressed it so beautifully that it would have made a cracking ending. But you'll have to make with make do with my less impassioned response. But it's really something to think about how this disconnection cuts us off from other people that separates and divides us. You can find an at at biodynamictherapy.net And if you're in the UK and you're interested in finding out more about Gerda's methods, check out centreforbodypsychotherapy.com, which is the London School of Biodynamic Therapies site. Gerda's birthday is the 22nd of May, so please join me in letting your body move in a pleasurable way, letting your energy move and say, happy birthday, Gerda. My book, Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause, is available from your favourite bookshop. And it would be wonderful if you felt able to share this podcast with a friend, either on social media or even in real life. Life and Inside Job is done just really for the love of connecting with interesting and inspiring people. And the more we can spread this love around, the more people we can reach. You never know. The right words might just land exactly when someone else needs to hear them. Thank you so much for listening. 
I'll be back in your ears very soon.